The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me
There's a new sheriff in town. That's what they're saying. America has seen such utter insanity, mindlessness, godlessness. Every evil thing has been lifted up. Madonna, the Kardashians, Kane West, Beyonce. Every wicked thing has been glorified and the media NBC ABC CBS what we used to trust when I was a kid to bring us accurate information today brings us fake news brings us lies with a political slant toward darkness toward evil trying to cause us to think that perversion is normal. Trying to make us think that transgenderism is somehow healthy instead of a desperate, dark spiritual condition. Trying to make us think that homosexuality is normal. Trying to make us think that somehow <laughs> marriage can, between a, can be between a man and a man, a woman and a woman. The lust for money and darkness has grown so exponentially in America that it seemed like it had become the norm and everybody was doing it and everybody was going this way. In reality, many of us never went along with this wicked agenda. Many of us simply pulled out and said, I won't watch television anymore. I haven't sat down in front of a television. I can't tell you when I last saw a television program. I turned it off. I cast my television into the trash. I didn't buy into it. I stopped long ago going to the movies. If not for the sake of the movie, for the sake of all of the promos that come before the movie, even a, even a wonderful family movie assaulted me with all of the wickedness. America is not the nation it was when I was a child, where hard work was respected, where entitlement was not considered. An America where we were self-sufficient, that is, we were totally sufficient with God. We were trusting in the power of Jesus, where we had regular prayer meetings well attended, where there were regular revival meetings and evangelistic series where the churches were growing and prospering. Oh, today the churches are growing and prospering because for the most part the American church has bought into the wicked agenda of what they consider normal. Seminaries banning the use of any genders for God you can't call God he anymore. The wickedness that was evident in the women's march that occurred in Washington just recently, the violence, the vileness, the insanity, the stupidity, 
It's shocking to me. As one man said, it's a new kind of stupid. But it is stupid. That is, it is utterly ignorant of the principles of God. It is utterly ignorant of the basic principles of a nation founded on the the Judeo-Christian ethic. And yet, many of us have felt as though we were in the minority, wondering if America was even yet our nation. And then Donald Trump was elected. Now, while he has many faults, I believe God installed him as President of the United States of America. God put his foot in the door of history and refused to allow the door to slam shut on America. For judgment would have come quickly under a Hillary Clinton presidency. No, God stepped in and he said, it's a new day in America and we're going to do things differently now. He doesn't bow down and worship at the altar of popularity with the perverts, with the ungodly, with the unclean. No, it's a new day in America. But may I please humbly say this to you? We're going to have to have a new day in the American church. We need a new sheriff in town for the American church. We need Jesus to come and step into the American church. The American church is filled with wicked entertainment. Most of the so-called Christian music today is not Christian at all. It's a prostitution of the gospel. It's effeminate. It's sentimental. The tunes are wicked. And yet churches are having 45 minutes of what they call praise and worship. May I please? It's praise and worship of the perverts and the darkness and the wickedness of our age. This one pastor said to me, yes, we have 45 minutes of this praise and worship at the beginning with strobe lights and and smoke. Why? Because we want to attract the ungodly to come to church in the hopes that we can bring them the gospel message that they're saved by grace. Oh yes, saved by grace, and you don't have to leave your sin. You can continue to be a wicked person. Just say, yes, I'll accept you, Jesus. The perversion of the gospel in America is utterly dark and wicked. Even the most popular preachers in America are preaching a gospel of wickedness. Oh yes, you can continue to walk in your sin. One preacher even was so bold, and he's a national speaker, was so bold as to say, yes, you can receive the mark of the beast and still be saved, because anyone who receives the mark who is saved cannot be lost. Such utter darkness and wickedness has come into the American church. I'm going to begin outlining for you some very hardcore, specific things that Jesus is saying must take place in the American church. Yes, the American church is written about in the scriptures. 
It's not called the American church. It's called the church at Laodicea. It was a prosperous city. It was a a popular city. They specialized in black wool, in healing waters. They thought they were righteous. But there are seven messages in Revelation, the third chapter, we find the one to Laodicea. Now, I need to say very specifically, what I'm going to speak to you will cut across much of what you have heard in the American church. But I want to remind you that what I'm going to share with you was spoken by the risen Lord. This is not Pastor Ray's message. The wickedness that has overtaken America, the perversion, ABC, NBC, CBS, Madonna, all of the hype with the circus of football, all the hype of the circus of baseball and and the many other professional sports, the entertainment of our day, all of these cover over the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to share with you what Jesus says very specifically, and this is hardcore stuff. This is not church speak. This is not name it and claim it. This is not eternal salvation is yours if you've confessed the name of Jesus. No, that's not what Jesus says. Those doctrines are taken as perversion out of the word of God. We have seen the demonstration of utter profane wickedness and insanity in our nation that has bled into the American church. And now there must be a change. I want to read it for you. This is Revelation, the third chapter, beginning with verse 14. And you must write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says these things. Now, obviously, the one who is speaking is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, If you were to go, let's just quickly do it. Colossians, the first chapter. Let me read this for you. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, always praying for you, having heard with reference to your faith in Christ Jesus and with reference to the love for all the holy ones, because of the hope awaiting you in the heavens, 
which you heard before by the word of truth of the gospel, coming to you as also in all the world. He talks about his love for the church. This is the Apostle Paul in Colossians. And the kingdom of his son. And then beginning in verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, firstborn in reference to all creation. For by him all things were created, the things in the heavens and the things on the earth, the things visible and the things invisible, whether thrones or lordships, whether rules, rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. But he himself is before all things, and all things have been held together by him. And he himself is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn out from among the dead, so that he himself may be holding first place in everything. So this is the person who is speaking here in Revelation, in the third chapter, This is his word, his message to the church. And most evangelical historians and Bible scholars would agree that while all of the messages to the churches apply to every age or every eon, they also have very particular time frames. And most would agree that the message to the church at Laodicea applies specifically to the church of our day, to the last day church before Jesus comes in great glory. He begins immediately by speaking without any sentimentality. He cuts right to the chase. He cuts it right to the heart of the issue. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Now please hear this as for the first time. Jesus comes to his last day church and he says, I know how you use your time. I know how you use your energy. I know how you spend your money. I know where you go for your entertainment. I'm watching what you do. He's not saying, I know how you feel. I know how you think. No, how you feel and how you think will always pour over into what you do. He's saying, I know your works. I know what you do. Now, what you do is the reality of your life. It cannot be hidden. What you actually do with your time and your energy is open before God. You cannot hide from it. Now, part of what my struggle has been on this radio broadcast, and I've expressed it, a number of times, but let me talk about it briefly. The great problem that I face as a pastor 
coming to speak to you who many of you would call yourselves Christians. The great problem I'm confronted by is the indifference to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And part of that indifference is shaped by a heart that is given to many things. Part of that indifference comes out of having your heart diluted. If I have ice-cold water half full in my glass and I pour hot water in what do I have in the end I have lukewarm water or vice versa if I'm half full of hot water and I pour ice water in what do I have I have lukewarm water diluted so This week, we're going to talk about what are the very specific actions that you take that dilutes, that waters down your heart and your life in Jesus, that prevents you from being on fire for Jesus Christ, that causes you not to love him the way he calls for you to love him. And so I struggle because of the indifference. I invite you to come out of the worldly church where it's all about entertainment, it's all about a false gospel of a sinning Christian, it's about the pastor standing and talking about the football, cracking jokes, being cute, It's about the ritual of going through the prayers that are written and there's nothing vivid and alive in the spirit. And your heart is, frankly, lukewarm. And I come and I speak about this issue with you and most of the response I receive is indifference. So what, Pastor? There's not a a rush to get right with Jesus. There's not a rush to identify, what am I doing? It's time to wake up. It's time to turn away from this wickedness. It's, It's time to get right with God. It's time to confess my sins. It's time to stop this wicked path that I've been on, these wicked things that I've been doing, that have watered down my heart and prevented me from being serious about Jesus. No, it's indifference. You know, Pastor, I'm just doing the best I can do. That's all God can expect from me. Oh, no, it's not at all. That's not what God expects. God does not expect you to do the best you can do. He expects you to be crucified with him. He expects you to come alive, to stop playing games with God. He's not going to be satisfied with this lukewarm response. He's not going to be satisfied with that. He needs something that's real out of your heart. 
He needs you to turn and come to him and recognize who he is and what he's calling for. This is not This is not a time to be asleep, to be casual. It's time to get real. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, he opens by saying, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. See, the people who were down at the mall acting stupid, lifting up their perversions, lifting up the and honoring the murdering of their babies in their wombs. These foolish women who praise and honor and glorify every wicked perversion of the human heart, they're cold. They don't confess the name of Jesus. He's saying, I wish you were like them, unchurched, cold-hearted, supporters of perversion, or I wish you were hot and burning with love for me. But because you're not, because you're not hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So Jesus would rather take one of these perverse women, one of these women who lift up every perverted thing, who love abortion, he would rather take one of these women and save their soul and set them on fire with a full deliverance than he would with the average church person in America today who goes into church, yawns. This is that all this is about and goes on out and lives their worldly life. Watered down. Lukewarm. Literally in the Greek, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm, you, you make me sick to my stomach is what he's saying. And, and please hear me. I don't want to make Jesus loathe me. I don't want to act in ways that cause Jesus to loathe me. And many of you listening to this broadcast are in great danger of Jesus loathing you because you have your little intellectual religion deal all worked out. You believe you are saved by grace. You believe that you are saved in spite of your sin. In fact, a couple of brothers said to me, we can't ever leave our sin. We're going to be sinners until the day we die, and then Jesus will take the sin out of our hearts. Wrong. Wrong not biblical it's a perversion the perversion of antinomianism the perversion of lawlessness now let's be clear i'm not saying we're made righteous by the law we are not we are made righteous by faith in the blood of jesus christ who then imparts righteousness to us who makes us righteous in reality, not, not sinners saved by grace, sinners made righteous by grace 
to be saved is to be taken out of our sin. So he says, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you. You make me sick. Well, let's look at what Jesus taught. Again, I don't want to go to anyone but Jesus to understand what he's speaking about. Later in the week, we'll go to what the apostles taught, what the Bible actually says in Peter, Paul, James. But today, I want to go to a parable. It's a a parable about the sowing of seed. And Jesus, speaking about this sowing in the parable, says that this parable that I'm going to teach you will reveal to you the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of God. The secret of the kingdom of God is not that you have imputed righteousness. The secret of the kingdom of God is not that you must continue walking in your sin until the day you die and call yourself saved. That's not the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery of the kingdom of God is something much different than that. And now in this parable, he is going to teach us what this mystery is all about. Let me begin with the explanation. Verse 11 of Luke, the eighth chapter. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Jesus said, I am the word. The word is the message he brought to us. It is of God. Now, please, don't allow the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter or the Apostle James, don't allow their words to interpret the words of Jesus. But always instead, let the words of Jesus interpret the rest of Scripture. Scripture must be interpreted by Jesus. So don't come taking the words of the Apostle Paul or Peter out of context, or James out of context, when that Context clearly teaches what Jesus taught. You can take Romans 7 out of context, and you can try to prove that man must be a sinner even though he's a Christian. Utterly wicked teaching. It's not true. It's a total removal from context of Romans 7. Romans 7 is not the life of the normal Christian. Romans 8 is the description of the normal Christian. Romans 7 is only speaking about particularly the Jewish man who is not converted. But Paul was delivered by Jesus from that wicked life, of that constant struggle between righteousness and sin. 
No, the blood of Jesus delivers us from every bondage of sin. So let's let Jesus speak now and interpret what he said later in the book of Revelation. The seed is the word of God, but the ones by the road are the ones hearing. And then the devil comes and takes the word from their heart. You might also want to look at Mark 4, verses 13 through 20, and Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23. These are the teachings of Jesus on this parable, and slightly different words are used to describe the same parable. This parable is included in three of the Gospels, emphasizing the importance of what Jesus taught. The devil comes and takes away the word from the heart, lest having believed they might be saved. Now, specifically, he's saying there is a path trodden across the field, and because you've walked this path so many times, claiming what you believe, when the word of God actually comes to your heart, as the word is coming today, some of you the devil will simply come and steal that word from your heart because you are not open to having that path plowed up and you will be lost. You will not be able to understand what I'm speaking. That deeply grieves my heart. I have spoken to many people in person about this gospel of holiness and righteousness in Jesus, and they look at me like I'm from a foreign planet. And they just say, well, everyone knows that everybody's a sinner. That's like saying everybody knows that perversion is acceptable in America. The mainstream media says it. The mainstream media teaches that nobody can be perfect and righteous. What foolishness. What a belittling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What apostasy. What blasphemy against the blood of Jesus Christ, saying that it has no more power than the blood of a bull or a goat offered under the old covenant where men are declared righteous. I am not made, I am not declared righteous under the new covenant. I am made righteous in reality by faith in the blood of Jesus by faith in Jesus, by the work of the Holy Spirit, as he applies that blood to my life, as Jesus strips off, circumcises my heart, as he crucifies me, I'm made clean. Now I recognize that this is not the experience of most of you listening to this broadcast, you still do not have the victory over sin because you are trying by the law to be made righteous. You cannot be made righteous by the law. The law will simply condemn you. You must be made righteous by fixing your eyes on Jesus and trusting him to accomplish this work in your heart. Luke 8, verse 13. And the ones upon the rock are those who, when they may hear, receive the word with joy. 
and these have no root, who believe for a period of time and in times of temptation become apostate. Matthew thirteen eighteen through 23 and Mark four thirteen through 20 include extra words like in times of persecution, in times that are hard, your faith fails because your eyes are not on Jesus. You have not allowed the, the Holy Spirit to dig deep in your heart and uncover the wickedness of your soul. You don't have any roots. And now we come to the one that will begin to identify why Jesus would say, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. What is it that begins to dilute the heart and soul of a man that begins to pour cold ice water into your life? And if you want this cold ice water to no longer fill your heart and cause Jesus to loathe you, then you need to know and understand the cause of that loathing. What is it that dilutes the heart and the life of a man? Now the seed having fallen among the thorns, these are the ones having heard. Now let's be clear, the thorns are the perversions of our age. The thorns are the things which our multimedia lift up and honor and glorify. The thorns are the ones who capture the hearts. One precious woman said she used to go to a church, but one day the pastor made the statement that homosexuality is sin. And she has a son who is gay, who is homosexual. And she could not stand that straight word. She said, that's hate speech. And she quickly fled from that church. When we honor perversion, we are honoring the thorns that the gospel tells us will choke out the word of God. Now, these are the thorns that I've been speaking of and now here are the things that begin to cause us to not be responsive to Jesus. The cares of this life. If we look at, let's go just very quickly to Matthew, the 13th chapter. Matthew 13 we find here the same parable. And he says here, he says here, the deceitfulness, you know, the worry of this age, the age here is not... Um, 
it's not of the world. The word eon or aeon is used. It's the worry of the ages. It's the responsibility of life. It's not a neurotic responsibility. It's literally just having to take care of everything that I'm supposed to take care of. Putting those first. Putting that ahead of what God is calling for. Let me read for you what Mark, the fourth chapter, says. It says in Mark, the fourth chapter, verse 17. Verse 18. These are the ones being sown among the thorns, the one hearing the word, and the cares of this age. The cares of this age. Now this cuts right to the heart. He's saying, look, if you are first concerned about being responsible for all the things that are on your plate, you will have no time for Jesus. And this will dilute your heart. It will dilute your fire for Jesus. Is there anything wrong with responsibility? No, of course not. But often we take on responsibility for things that we are not called by God to be responsible for. I think of precious mothers today. One mother, three beautiful little children. I said, how are you doing? And she said, I've taken my Bible to the kitchen with me. And I'm constantly able to just look at it and be filled again before my child needs something. So in her heart, she's responsible to care for her children. But first and foremost, she has set in her heart her love for Jesus. So at every moment, she's turning to Jesus to read a few more verses of the Scripture to be filled with the Word of God. She could be texting. She could be talking on the telephone. She could be taking care of the wash and folding it. She could be doing a million different things. But first, in this godly woman's heart and in this godly woman's life, she wants Jesus because she knows that all of these heavy responsibilities of being a mother, of caring for three small infants, of taking care of her children, will cause the presence of Jesus to be drained away and diluted. Nothing wrong with her taking care of her children. It's a matter of, is God first in her heart? And yes, for her, God is first. Jesus is number one. And so she sets a time 
during every day, when even if she's tired, she sits with the Lord, and she talks with Him, and she recognizes that caring for these children is caring for Jesus. And her heart is to raise these children as godly children, as righteous children. And so she's constantly disciplining and correcting and loving, embracing, kissing their hurts away. But at the very core of her being, she's doing this for Jesus. And so she's in touch with Jesus first and foremost. Or husband may be away at work. She can't be in touch constantly with her husband, but she can be constantly in touch with Jesus Christ. And so her heart is touched and she's moved with the love of Jesus. And so everything that motivates this godly woman who is walking without sin before God is the cry of her heart is more of Jesus, to be filled with his presence. Some of you have taken on such responsibilities. Some of you have taken responsibility for your toys, for your house, for your job, and everything seems to be rushing in upon you. And how do I do my job and love Jesus too? You do your job for Jesus. You take care of every responsibility of life that he's called you to care for, and you take care of that responsibility as a gift to Jesus. So your heart is constantly crying out and worshiping him and loving him and speaking with him. You, you never stop praying. Your prayer is ceaseless to Jesus. There is a constant inner conversation all through the day with Jesus Christ. This is what a heart on fire will do. But if you're embittered by what you're doing and you're angered by the hardship of your task and you're just grinding out another day your heart will not be with Jesus and this will come and dilute the hot fire of Jesus in your heart if you're at that job to make a retirement or if you're at that job to make money Christians don't work for money. Do you understand this? Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom, the authority of God over your life, and his righteousness. And then all of these other things that pagans desire will be given to you. Yes, God uses your job to flow money to you, but you're an assignment there for Jesus Christ. And so the fire of God has to be in your heart to recognize those staff who work at that place with you. Those are the people you were sent to love and serve. Those are the people who should see such a dramatic difference in your life that they will be called to be one with Jesus. But if the responsibilities of life If they overtake you, all of the fire of God will be drained from your heart. When you feel that you have what you need in the physical realm, you have the friends, you have 
the job, you have the car, you have the house, you have your physical life, and you don't need Jesus, then you're in trouble. Because you're going to be lukewarm. And Jesus is going to say to you, I'm going to I'm going to vomit you out of my life. I don't want that to happen to me. And you see, according to Jesus' parable, the thorn life is where the responsibility of life takes over. And the deceitfulness of wealth where you think this is all about getting ahead in life and providing myself and my family with all of the wonderful things I'm supposed to have. And then your children grow up to be little hellions and pagans, and you wonder why. Because Daddy didn't pray with the children. He didn't take time at night to hug and kiss them and talk with them. Mama was busy with her meetings and her affairs and her social life and with all of her responsibilities, so she didn't have time to correct them, but instead made them as the little heroes, the hellions of the house, not correcting them, not not cutting off wickedness in their hearts. then the Word of God is being choked out in your heart and in your life. And then the love for other things. I spoke with one precious young woman who's just trying to come and get acquainted with Jesus. She admitted to me, I'm bored by the Scripture. I'd rather rather go on the Facebook. She doesn't have a taste yet for Jesus. Well, how do you get a taste for Jesus? You cut off these things that are diluting. And if you're on Facebook, you are diluting the fire of God in your heart. If you're focused on pleasures of this world, if your eyes are on the football game, you are diluting the fire of God in your heart. There are some things, it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Pastor, is this evil? Well, I'm not going to judge it as evil, but it can be evil if it drains away your life, if it drains away the fire of God in your spirit. It's evil. If it's going to make Jesus loathe you, it is evil. So these responsibilities of life the love and worship of money and stuff and things, the wicked pleasures or just the pleasures of this life, all of these things come and they dilute the love of God. And if you're going to walk in the love of God, you're going to have to cut these things off. I had to cut off my addiction to television many years ago. I had to cut off my love of going every week to the movies. I had to cut off the radio, turning on the news constantly, listening to the worldly music, country-western, whatever the music 
genre is that you like. I had to cut it off. I had to empty my life of worldly things so that the hunger of my heart for Jesus could be uncovered as he placed it there so that I would search after Jesus with all of my heart. So I ask you today, be really honest with me. Are you lukewarm? Or are you on fire for Jesus? Or are you one of the perverted ones who are cold of heart? I don't condemn you. I condemn the wickedness of the actions that I see, the stupidity that I see. But Jesus is the answer. I call you today and all this week to a new life in Jesus Christ. Now we're out of time for today's broadcast. I invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find many videos, webcasts. I pray you'll subscribe and regularly listen and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work in your life and expel from your heart these things that are diluting your walk with Jesus, that are causing you to refuse to submit to the things he wants to do to bring you into alignment with himself. Please go to our webpage. If the Lord is calling you to give to make this broadcast happen, we're coming to the end of the month and we still are far short of what we need. You'll find how to give by going to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I'll give you more information later this week. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I'm very grateful that the Holy Spirit has caused you to come to this broadcast today. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.